0: Jonah 3 verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, when we think about how steadfast you are, Um, We know that it defines your very character. You have said that you are the rock on which you place us, um, the rock that will not be moved. You have said that your love toward us is steadfast love, covenant love that will not change. You have said that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have said that you are steadfast. Father, we confess to you that when we consider something that is steadfast, we are undone. Because we see our own hearts and our own lives. We see how fleeting our desires come and go. We see how quickly we are distracted. How we seek distraction. How one moment we profess your kingship with our lips. And the next moment we rage for control. Father. We are anything but steadfast. And we come before you and before your word. Your very word has read the same for millennia. It has not changed. We see in your word an example of your steadfastness. But Father, you have told us to look to Jesus. That we would understand that your love is steadfast. That nothing can separate us. ...from the love of God as we have already sung. Father, for us to be drawn into your presence... ...to see the glory of Christ... ...we have to ask you again to make good on your promises... ...to open the eyes of our hearts. Father, for some in this room... ...the anguish and the anger of life that is anything but fair is just below the surface of our skin. Father, we can be set off at a moment's discouragement or aggravation. And Father, we ask you, would you please draw us out into your presence and would you show us Jesus? Father, we confess that we watch the world in which we live, and we either respond to it in anger or often in silence, and Father, many times we actually just become like the world in which we live. We see how malleable we are, and we praise you that you are steadfast. Father, we ask you now as we look at your word, would you draw us into your presence? Would you prepare us to come to the table to eat? Would you remind us that you are the one who is showing us your son? Lord Jesus, that you have been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and that you have said that in that throne room of grace, you give us access to give us the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you to the depth of our beings. We praise you for what has already been proclaimed, that you are a God who forgives. You are a God who is merciful, slow to anger, and filled with compassion. Father, would we know that that compassion is for us. Father, if you would so allow it, would you allow that scorching east wind to blow across our hearts and expose us in the presence of Christ? And as women and men exposed, would we be overwhelmed with your love? Father, you truly are steadfast and we come to you now asking that you would show us that love. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen. We are spending the summer talking about the theme that goes from the beginning to the end of Scripture, that the nations would be blessed. The way in which God has revealed himself as a covenant God to Abraham, the very first thing that we looked at was Genesis 12, and we saw that God said to Abraham, the reason I am making this covenant with you is so that the nations would be blessed. We saw next chronologically in the order of, 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 of God's people how God blessed through Joseph the nation of Egypt. We saw as he brought his people out into the desert and as he was leading them into the promised land through the giving of the law in Deuteronomy that loving the sojourner and the foreigner among us that the nations would be blessed is part and parcel with the law of God. Nathan then took us through this story of Naaman, the Syrian captain, the captain of a people who was against Israel, and how even there God chose to bless Naaman as Naaman learned to proclaim the name of God. We finally last week saw in Psalm 87 that inherent and ingrained into the life of the Israelites was this promise that through God's people the nations were to be blessed as we were even given songs to sing about those who would come to know Him. Today, we turn to Jonah. Again, in chronological order of the way that Scripture is laid out, and we see God revealing Jonah's unrighteous anger. We see that this is a story. Jonah is a story. A story of God's commitment to bless the nations through his people. And Jonah's opposition and our human opposition, often which is the case, our opposition to God's intent to be a blessing. Because even in this passage, Jonah is called to bless a nation that is his enemy. The first thing of two things that we're going to see is God's ability to reveal Jonah's unrighteous anger. And the second thing that we're going to do is see how God shows us the root of unrighteous anger. How are we supposed to understand this book of Jonah? I don't think we can understand this book of Jonah, the, the hatred that Israel would have had for Nineveh. You know, Maybe you could compare it to the idea that the Ukrainians may feel against the Russians right now. Have you heard the, the statements that have been made that it will take decades and generations before there is hope of reconciliation? The background of Jonah is not dissimilar to that. Nineveh is not a city that God picked out of just any city that he could have sent Jonah to. Nineveh was the nemesis of the northern kingdom. The only other place we see Jonah in the book of the Bible is in 2 Kings 14. And there we see that Jonah is an 8th century prophet from Galilee. He was sent to prophesy of God to Jeroboam II, the last great king... ...of the nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes. Jeroboam was known as a wicked king. He continued the sins of the original Jeroboam... ...who had come some 200 years prior... ...the worship of the golden calves at both Dan and Bethel. But underneath Jeroboam... ...the military and the economy of Israel... ...the northern kingdom flourished... And they pushed into the territory that God had given them. All of it under Jeroboam. And we read in 2 Kings 14 that Jonah was his prophet. Who used the language of Deuteronomy 32, the song of Moses, to prophesy Jeroboam, you are God's man for Israel. You are the one through whom God is going to save Israel. Because, he says... There are none left, bond or free, who are on the side of Israel, but God is. Jonah was pro-Israel in every way. Nineveh was them versus Israel, who was us in Jonah's mind. The background of the story of Jonah is God's commitment to bless the nations through his people, even his people's enemies. Nineveh was the nemesis of the northern kingdom. And in Jonah's mind, this is a zero-sum game. Israel is blessed. Our enemies will be cursed. This is win at all costs, no matter what. Why do I think that it's important that we look at this story of Jonah, especially in the historic context of Jonah? Because this is the way that the world thinks about division. A zero-sum game. You're either blessed or you're cursed. And it is often the way that unconsidered, that unexamined, we the church also think about division also think about those whom we might call enemies of the church my first question in looking at this background is is this the way that you think life is a zero sum game it's either blessing or curse and if they are blessed it's less for me That's the background. But what's the foreground as God unveils and reveals God and Noah's, Jonah's, excuse me, unrighteous anger? Jonah's angry over God's compassion. Do you see that in these few verses? Look at verses four and following. First, number 10. You know what happens in verse 10, right? Up until this point, you've got Jonah who was told to go to the Ninevites. He flees, he gets on the boat, he sails away to Tarshish. They they have this incredible storm that blows up around them, right? And the sailors try to save them, but Jonah says, It's my fault, just throw me in, just kill me, and that'll make the end of it. But God sends a fish to take Jonah out of the water. Fish vomits Jonah up on the land, the beginning of chapter 3. God says to Jonah, now go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. He walks into the city. And with about the fewest words he can possibly say, he proclaims the judgment of God, repent, or within 40 days you're going to be destroyed, right? That's the story of the book of Jonah. The context is God seeking to bless the nations through his people. And Jonah's hatred of that. Because we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, that the fact that the Ninevites were not destroyed displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, it says. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said this, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He goes, look, this was the whole reason that I fled before. Because I know what you are like. God, Jonah, was mad about the compassion of God. Think about that for a minute. Jonah was mad about the compassion that God showed his enemies. And he essentially goes on to say in in verses 2 and 3, This is your very character. That you are a God, how does he say it? That you are a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I almost want to ask all of you children who have been in the catechism class, what is that language? Where is it from? Exodus 34, the very name of the Lord. The name of the Lord that was in Mita's psalm as she read it and said that your name will be exalted above every other name. Jonah said, I knew that you were like this. And that's, when I, that's why I didn't want to go to them. That's why I didn't want to engage the enemy. And Jonah looks at him and he says, look. Please take my life from me in verse 3. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord Hears Jonah and looks at Jonah and says, Do you do well to be angry? God essentially asks Jonah, Is your anger righteous anger or is it unrighteous anger? Listen, we, the church, live in a culture that is bent. ...against the church. Do you see... ...that that is nothing new... ...under the sun? And the question is... ...what is your bent... ...toward those whom you consider... ...to be your enemies? Are you angry? Listen, if we studied anger... ...through the New Testament... We read and understand that Jesus was angry, that we're not told that anger is wrong. We are told that we're not supposed to let the sun set on our anger, that our anger is actually supposed to move us toward people. And in fact, that's a clue for us to ask, is our anger at our present situation, like Jonah's present situation, is it righteous anger or unrighteous anger? Well, how might we know? Look at the direction in which Jonah's anger sent him. Did his anger send him toward the people that he was angry with or away? Pretty obvious, right? Send him all the way to Tarshish. He would rather die in the middle of the sea than actually go to his enemies... And seek that they would be blessed to proclaim judgment on them. Do you know what a great blessing it is that Jonah would go to Nineveh and proclaim judgment? What does it tell you that God, that that Jonah would proclaim judgment? There is a God. There is right and wrong. And there is going to be a reckoning. What a gift to give to the culture. But Jonah... Did not want to do it. Not just the direction of Jonah's anger that helps you see that it was unrighteous. Not just the direction that your anger moves you in and mine moves me in that might lead us to understand whether it's righteous or not. But also our willingness to die. Jonah demonstrated it at least three times, right? Where's the first time? On the ship to Tarshish, what could he have done? He could have stopped and prayed to his God like all the other pagan sailors did. But no, not Jonah. Jonah just said, look, just throw me into the sea. Let's get this over with now. I know I'm the problem. He's right. He was the problem. But God wasn't going to make Jonah sacrifice the solution. Jonah tried to give up his life then. Here, he told God already, just go ahead and... Let me die. Take my life. And we're about to read that he holds on to that concept. And do you know what's even more startling about Jonah? Is that instead of being in the Ninevite camp, rejoicing with those who have repented, we find Jonah sitting outside the camp, to the east of it, outside of it, separated from it, waiting to see its destruction. Is your anger that is kindled by current situations righteous or unrighteous? We can think about our anger in the same way. We've been reading a book with the Micah 6:8 initiative called Compassion and Conviction. And in it, the authors, two African-American men and one white guy who write. And they have a chapter about winning versus witness. And it's a chapter that will seek your heart out. Are we only in the fight to win? Or are we in it to witness to something greater? What do you do with the very likely reality that God wants to bless your enemies through you? That's what Jonah's about. God's commitment that the nations would be blessed. What do you do with the very likely reality that God wants to bless your enemies through you? That's the first of two things. The revealing of unrighteous anger. But part two is the revealing of the source of Jonah's unrighteous anger. You can look at it with me. Jonah 5 says that Jonah went out of the city and he sat east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if God were your counselor? This is a great example of what it would be like if God were your counselor. There are four times in the book of Jonah that it says that God appoints something. He said that he appointed a fish to come and save Jonah's life in the sea. And then it says that God, in verse 6, appointed a plant. He appointed this plant to grow up over Jonah's head to provide shade for him. And we are told that when that happened, that Jonah, this plant in verse 6, or excuse me, yeah, in verse 6, that provided shade over his head to save him from his discomfort... That Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But then we're told that God appointed a worm. God appointed a plant. He now appointed a worm. Verse 7 says that at dawn the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And then it said the sun began to shine. Jonah became overwhelmed in the sun. And then it says that God appointed the final thing that God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die. This is an amazing story. And apart from what you already heard in the first four verses, five verses of the chapter, it would be just a silly story, wouldn't it? Does God ever come after your anger? Mita and I got in a fight this week. And she was very gracious and generous with me. She allowed me to wait a whole night before we actually had a conversation. And then when we had the conversation the first time, it didn't go well. I'm not going to lie to you. And it didn't go Well. Because of me. We got distracted. I got to a job. Had a sink that was clogged, right? I went about fixing this sink. And guess what? (laughs) Nothing worked that I did. It was the most maddening two hours of my Friday. My day off. My break. This job that I wanted to do because nobody understood ...that I was the one that was, you know, being put upon... ...and and being pressed on and taken advantage of... ...and I just wanted to get this job done. And at one point I pulled this snake... ...this tool that you squirrel into the drain... ...and I pulled it out and this juice just flew over me. And I went outside and I slammed the door... ...hoping that somebody was in the house to listen... ...and nobody was in the house to listen. And I sat outside... And I was mad, and I sat there. And I heard, do you do well, Bradley, to be angry? This story of the plant is my sink as God got a hold of me. But look how God engages Jonah. He engages Jonah regarding the concept of pity. Jonah cries out to God. To be moved with pity literally means that tears fill your eyes and you are overwhelmed on something else's behalf. What does this mean? Jonah was so frustrated at this point sitting outside east of of Nineveh that he began to cry and he was overwhelmed he said god just go ahead and take my life i want to die and god responds to jonah again right do you see it in verse 8 Jonah asks that he might die and he says to God, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Look at what Jonah says. Jonah's bold. Jonah comes back at God, he goes, yes, I do well to be angry about the plant. I do well enough that I just want to die. I'm angry enough to die. God has uncovered the root of Jonah's anger. And God gently speaks to him in verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. We know that Jonah didn't care a lick about the plant. He was exceedingly grateful that it removed his own discomfort. That word discomfort is evil. It removed what Jonah felt like was evil to him. Jonah had defined what evil was in accordance with his own desires and likings. Sound familiar to any of your pity? Hmm. Sounds really familiar to my self-pity. God reveals that to Jonah. But then he says something about his pity to Jonah... He said to Jonah in verse 11, and he asks a question. Notice that this is a question. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jonah, should I not pity them? What does God show Jonah in this story? God shows Jonah that he pities people, and more often than not, we humans pity ourselves. We pity ourselves. What do we do when we see? That our mission is not God's mission. Or better said, that God's mission isn't ours. That he would use his people to be a blessing for the nations. But instead, we want to tell people how we have been wronged. And why we are in the right. What will break us from our self-pity? where is Jesus in this if you study Jonah it's really fascinating guess where he's from he's from Galilee when Jesus showed up on the scene the Pharisees said there's no way that Jesus is a prophet because no prophet has ever come from Galilee they knew that they were not telling the truth Jonah was from Galilee. You see, God would send another prophet from Galilee... ...who would weep over the city. Not not over his own discomfort like the prophet Jonah did... ...but Jesus would look and he would weep. He would be moved to tears over the city. And he would be willing to die... Not fighting the city, but for the city. For God's people, whom God said, you all are like my enemy. The judgments that are proclaimed in the Old Testament are stark. If you want to see how God understood Judah, the southern kingdom, a great place to go and look is Ezekiel. And God likens his people, get this, Ezekiel 16, 49. Go look at it if you want to. He likens them to their sister, Sodom. Let me ask you a question. What was Sodom condemned for? Remember the whole story about Lot? Sulfur falling from the sky, right? And a whole city being destroyed. What do you think they were condemned for? I want you to go home after tonight and I want you to look up Ezekiel 16, 19. Guess what they were condemned for? Pride. Having an excess of food and an excess of ease and not helping those who are poor and needy. It is shocking. And you begin to see, how does God love? Who does God pity? He pities us. When we were his enemies, he loved us. Jonah not only forces us to consider whether our anger is righteous or not, but reveals for us that when we discover that our anger is unrighteous, it's driven from a place of self-pity versus a place like God's love, pitying others. It's not the end of the story. It is the end of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom doesn't last much longer. The Assyrians come within a couple of decades and wipe out the northern kingdom. But what we're going to see is even as God's people are taken into exile, God is still committed to use his people to be a blessing for the nations. You and I are coming to this table. The reason that we're coming to this table is because this book of Jonah ends in questions. You don't know how Jonah responded. And the reason it's so powerful is because it draws you and me in. How are we going to respond? And God, if you're calling us to love our enemies, you have got to do something in us. And he responds and he says, I have. Look, I gave you my son who came to his enemies and died for us. He moved toward us, even as we now are invited to move toward him. Will you pray with me?